The Fitness Reborn podcast is a companion piece to Renaissance Fitness personal training. This podcast is to serve as educational and entertainment purposes only. It does not in any way constitute as medical advice. If you have a medical concern, please seek out your provider. Hello, Internet. This is the Fitness Reborn podcast. My name is Sean from Renaissance Fitness Personal Training, where we put movement ahead of workouts. And my guest today is Zoe Thompson. Zoe um, is an international strongwoman competitor. She was ranked second in the UK, ninth overall in uh, Europe. She is a life and well-being coach of over 10 years, a domestic abuse survivor, 10-year veteran of the UK Police Service, uh, the owner of the Phoenix Life and Well-Being Coaching, and she is, of course, a parent. Thank you so much for coming on, Zoe. Thank you for having me. Good to meet you. Yeah, yeah. Good to talk. So those of you who don't know, and there's no reason why you would, we had a little snafu last time. Hopefully things will go much better this time technology wise that's just kind of the, the kind of the price of the game you play here when you're you know doing internet-based interviews and i guess especially when they're across large um large distances so yeah 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 so anyways zoe so let's kick things off right here so let's go to the heart of what you do here talk to us about phoenix life and well-being there, there's so much to talk about. I always find this really difficult to summarize succinctly. And I guess the best way to describe what I do is put it under the umbrella, un, under the umbrella of self-development. So it's coaching, it's training, uh, it's ultimately helping people become a better version of themselves, whatever that looks like. And that might be lifestyle, it might be well-being, it might be in organizations around leadership. Um, it's really varied, which is great because I have, I love the variety. I get bored very quickly. So I love the fact that I work with teenagers right through to, you know, adults that are in their 60s and 70s. I work with individuals and I work with organizations as well. So it's really varied, um, but it is lifestyle. It is well-being, but it's also a lot of self-development as well, whether that's mental, physical or emotional. Gotcha. So you chose the uh, the uh, the symbol of the phoenix, mm. pro- probably very strategically. So uh, we could talk all day long about the phoenix here, and you know how it comes to embody you know the people who adopt it. So now I think the phoenix, as it relates to your business, probably is obvious. How does it relate to you? Yeah, I guess it's similar to yours with it being reborn, isn't it? I'm not, I think Mm -hmm. the reason, uh, the reason why I chose the Phoenix was because I think for me, it really resonated in, I don't think, and I know some people will have a different perspective on this. I don't think you can go back to who you were after you faced a period of adversity, whatever that looks like, whatever the level of adversity is. I don't think you can go back to who you are. I think there's a great saying, you know, no, the same man doesn't step into the same river twice. It's either a different man or a different river. And I think when we go through something, we change, we grow, we evolve, we learn more about ourselves, we learn more about other people, we learn more about life. And I don't think it is possible to go back to who you are 
or who you were before. And for me, it's that evolution. It's taking your adversity, taking your challenges and using that as a platform and a springboard to grow and evolve rather than something that holds you back. So for me, the Phoenix was a really obvious choice. And I think a lot of life coaches, they're the Phoenix, the butterfly. You know, I think there are lots of different images that resonate with a lot of people. But for me, it was about the growth and evolution and that, you know, the rising from the ashes, that even when you think you are at your lowest point, there's still opportunity for that rebirth and that growth and taking everything that has happened to you and using that for a positive. And one of the things that I talk through a lot with clients is understanding what you tapped into to get through periods of adversity is what you tap into proactively to grow and move forward. And for me, then that's why the Phoenix was was really important. And I think for my own story as well, it wasn't about trying to get back to who I was before. It was, I didn't want to go back to who I was before. I wanted to make sure that I used the opportunity of that rebirth, if you like, to shape who I wanted to be and who I wanted to be in the future rather than, I think, being shaped by others, which was what had happened before. So who were you before? I don't know. I, I don't know that I knew who I was before. I think life had kind of shaped me I think for me it's the 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 downside if you like of being quite easy going and going with the flow is that the flow shapes you and I think it's great to be easy going but if you don't set your direction and you don't make those decisions and you go at the flow of life or other people's decisions then that's what sets the direction rather than you and I think I had made lots of decisions but they weren't really my decisions. I had opportunities and I took them and I don't have any regrets, but I, I think I was, I hadn't spent any time working out who I was and who I wanted to be. So I was being shaped by other people who had kind of made those decisions. And I think just very, very easily influenced, I think. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know who, who I, it was very difficult to it's, it's also a very long time ago, so it's, very, it's a very long time ago to right. think back that far. But yeah, I think I'm much more conscious now of the decisions that I make and the directions that I take myself in, that they are my decisions and it's what I want, which sounds incredibly selfish, but it's no. self-centered, I guess, because it's me at the center. But, you know, if you only get one shot at life, I want to make sure that I'm doing the things that I want to do and the direction that I want to go in. Now, it's that's kind of a, it seems to me kind of like the the growth curve of life itself isn't it i mean because i think all of us to some degree you know we're kind of pack animals up to a certain point and then you know maybe and some people are kind of just natural born leaders and they're always the people that have like a group of an entourage of folks following them doing anything they want and you know I think probably there's fewer of those than there are of the ones who just kind of go with the flow. I know I'm kind of that person too. And, and, uh, yeah, I agree. And, you know, it's great to be an easygoing, easygoing person. It makes people very comfortable around you. Mm -hmm. Um, because you're not as outwardly aggressive as some others are. Um, but yeah, it does tend to just lead you in directions that you later find were not the place you wanted to be. And so you have to kind of grow into that assertive self. 
was yeah, that your experience? It's a really good way of describing it. Yeah. So was that was that your was that your uh, development as well too? It's like you just kind of like you know you found yourself in a place that you didn't want to be, and so then you then you made movements to get out of it once you realized just how bad it was. Yeah, I think that's the advantage of of rising up from the ashes is that you really are starting from scratch. So you get to decide, okay, if I'm if I'm rising up from this and I've literally come coming from you know a complete restart what do I want that to look like and I think for me the physical changes my physical health was the obvious one to start with but I also don't think that I truly realized the healing that was needed from a mental and emotional point of view as well so the physical side of it felt like that that was the obvious thing to do. Okay, you're not in good shape physically, you're not well physically. So let's start with that, because I think that's a lot easier on paper to work out. Um, and I think as I went through through that process, losing weight, getting some health and fitness back, that I realized actually how much mentally and emotionally there was work that needed to be done as well and then that I think the the fitness side of it came in with that and I, I think it took me by surprise how much working on my fitness getting into the gym having a personal trainer eventually how much that was actually shaping my mental and emotional health as much as it was kind of rebuilding my physical health as well so uh, like I mentioned earlier when we started the uh, the recording here you have a background of domestic violence. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that is that where a lot of your life and well-being coaching coaching springs from? It's from that background is where you know these metaphors about rising from the ashes and birth and starting again. Um, was that kind of was that kind of the big mover and shaker? of what of what of what now is your um your your business or is it just kind of like is it just kind of like a composite of that experience combined with others i think probably the latter i mean i think the coming out of that relationship was the catalyst for the changes and i think i went through a, a number of changes over a period of time and actually the coaching side of things initially was around nutrition coaching because I'd gone through such a physical change I was getting approached quite a lot to ask uh, you know you're looking so much better what is it that you're doing Um, and so I wanted to learn for myself initially it was all again all about me I wanted to learn it for me I wanted to understand for me Um, and, and I think nutrition is it's one of those topics, isn't it, that you, you know, the research changes a lot of the perspectives a lot of the time. So I wanted to understand it for myself. Um, But actually, I was working for the police at the time, and had a role as a mentor, and a self development trainer um, with the police at that time as well. So I would say that probably shaped the coaching and the business probably more so. Uh, But I think, uh, you know, there was a lot about myself I learned in that period of time, which probably does shape, or it definitely shapes who I am today. Um, 
I, but it wasn't the catalyst for, for bringing me into coaching. I think that was probably more my professional life that shaped that. But I think it's an element of it, although there's a lot of people that I work with that don't necessarily know that about me because it's one chapter of my life that as I get older, that chapter becomes one of many chapters that it's sometimes it's relevant for people and sometimes it isn't dependent on the work that I'm doing. So I think my professional life probably shaped it more so than my personal life. But I think, you know, with anything that we do, we bring ourselves into that, don't we? So I think it certainly deepened my understanding of people and how people tick and, you know, how mentally, emotionally, and physically, all of these things are linking together. So I think it's, there's an element of it that definitely helps. Uh, but I think that probably more my professional path led me into this rather than my, my personal path, but they do run kind of run alongside and then merged, merged together. How'd you get into strong woman com competitions? That came off the back of the the physical training. So, um, I I lost um, I lost quite a lot of weight have, uh, after coming out of that relationship. Um, lost a lot of weight, got back into the gym, um, and really enjoyed it. But I found uh, initially I was doing lots of cardio stuff. Um, and then met a personal trainer in the gym who was one of the one of the instructors in one of the classes that I was doing um, and he persuaded me to go in and give strength training a go and that was a big game changer for me because it completely changed uh it, re it really flipped the switch around my mindset around physically it, be it became less about how much I weighed and what I looked like and more about what my body could do and right. just really changed pushing those barriers over what I thought I could do and then what my PT would put on the bar and tell me to lift and I would look at it and think you got no chance and he's like Zoe just just pick it up and put it back down again that's all I'm asking you to do like don't overthink it just just do it and strength training for me just really pushed through some of my sort of beliefs around what I could do. And, and I think, you know, having somebody, you know, like a personal trainer who gives you that push, who sees that potential before you recognize it yourself is incredibly powerful. And for me, the, the stronger I got in the gym, the more I found I was getting more confident outside of the gym as well. Um, long story short, with the strong woman, um, I was uh, really enjoying the strength training, um, my PT said to me, you know, actually, you know, you're, you know, you're strong in the gym, but how do you compare with other people? And then one of the other gyms in Bristol was doing an open day for strong women, which is quite, quite a unique sport. And especially years ago, definitely a unique sport. Not very many women did it. Um, went to the open day. And as we were leaving, the gym owner said he was putting on a, the first ever competition for women in Bristol and would we sign up to it signed up and the rest as they say is history you know I did well in that competition signed up for another did well in that one signed up for another went to a regional one did surprisingly well in that one that qualified me for England's which qualified me for Britain's which qualified me for Europe's and within a year 
I was competing at Europe's Strongest Woman, which was just com- completely different because mm-hmm. you were getting to that stage of, uh, you know, amateur competitions into, you know, some people who do this, uh, you know, do this for a living. So uh, it was a, a very steep learning curve over quite a short period of time. But I loved every minute of it. I love the challenge. You know, it's a it's a great sport for variety. You have to train everything all of the time because you don't know what the events are going to be until mm-hmm. six weeks out. So it meant that I, you know, was always shaking up my training and being able to to do that. But it's a, a great, a great sport. It's a very supportive sport. And I know it's big in the US. Oh, yes. Well. Very big in the US. Yeah. Well, I mean, for his... For as uh, short of a time as it was, I mean, and you say you didn't really, you got into a whole different, um, whole different world when you got into the Europe-wide competition. Still, you came in ninth to yeah. crack the top ten, so that's still impressive <laughs> on its own. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it yeah, no, it's always interesting when people, you know, even just thinking back on it now, because none of that was ever planned you know it was just a case of okay well now you've qualified for the next competition right okay then the events would come through and I'd look at it and I'd look at the weights and I think I'm not even lifting I can't even lift this once and in eight weeks time you want me to get as many reps as possible in 60 seconds at the moment I can't even get this off the floor so the whole kind of training process you know mentally was as tough as it was physically because you was just constantly failing, you know, and, and I think that's one of the great things about strength training is that it it does reshape your relationship with failure, because when you fail and you fail the next way up, you're one step closer to what you're trying to get to, you know. So, you know, looking mm-hmm. at eight week plans and thinking All right, in eight weeks time, I'm going to have to lift this multiple times in front of a crowd full of people. Yet right now I can't even get this thing off the floor is just and then just every week just pushing and pushing and then 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 it comes a little bit off the floor and then you get one rep in and then the next week you're going for a second and you're doing that with five different events it's you know it just I mean it's great for focus because you can't Mm -hmm. think about anything else when you're you know when you're in there and you've got your training plan in front of you you know you're just you just tap into that hyper focus of putting everything into into each lift so I you know I learned so much mentally as much as I did did physically I think I think I mean I'm a huge advocate for strength training and still am but it was a game changer for me that's for sure what did you learn about yourself mentally that I was a lot stronger than I thought I was you know I, I think I didn't know physically that I was that strong but I think also you know that pushing through yeah there's a the you know a great saying and I use this all the time getting comfortable with being uncomfortable you know? yeah and you hear people say it all of the time but that st- the sport of strong women is all about being uncomfortable you know it's lifting really stupidly heavy and awkward things and it hurts you know it hurts for for periods of time while you're trying to lift it or move it but you push through that pain barrier, you push through what you think is possible all of the time. So you're constantly challenging what you think is possible and pushing through that um, working until you make it possible, 
and I and I think now I'm able to apply that through all different aspects of life as well. It's like, okay, well, it doesn't look possible now, but if I break it down into those smaller steps and work on that over the next couple of weeks, then eventually there's no right, there's no reason why that can't be possible. You think things like a uh, strong man, strong woman competitions, even things like if you want to go even a step further, go like say MMA, things like that, combative sports. Um, I know like, for example, like MMA, boxing, that kind of stuff, it, you generally, you generally, it's very appealing to people who have, say, come into it from hard backgrounds. Um, there's a lot of uh, people in it who have been bullied when they were younger. They had troubled home lives and things like that. And there's a, there's an element to it that really kind of speaks to their experiences and speaks to maybe their overall personalities. And like you just said, it reshapes what you think failure is and what you think fear is. Um, I know for like combative sports, um, you know, you go into something like that, maybe it's boxing and then you get punched in the face and then you realize, okay, yeah, that hurt. That wasn't as scary as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. So I could, do this, you know, and it's going to happen again and again and again. And, you know, we hear like people who's like Mike Tyson say, like, you know, everyone's got a plan until they take that first punch in the face. And then that plan just goes, goes to hell. So, <laughs> but um, I, do you think there's something about things like um, strong woman, strong man competitions and MMA and combative sports and things that require like physically grueling applications that really sort of like they awaken something inside of us especially people who come from hard backgrounds that is just unique onto itself i think it's the resilience as well i think when you know the examples that you were giving there you you're you're talking about very resilient people the people mm-hmm. who have got up and picked themselves up over and over again mm-hmm. And I think the physical elements of any sport, yes, you've got a natural, you know, uh, physical DNA get up, which might put you at more of an advantage. But with any of these sports, whether it's strongman, strongwoman, MMA, boxing, you learn the sport. You're physically, you learn the sport. Mentally, I think that resilience, I think that's the difference that makes the difference of that pushing through because all of these sports I think any any competitive sport is very easy to give up and I think that's the difference that makes the difference between people who do it at a low hobby level and the people who do it at that competitive level is that pushing through mm-hmm. when when everybody wants to give up because we all hit that stage at some point we yeah. might hit it at different points but we all hit that stage at one point where it's like why am I doing this <laughs> why am I putting this amount into training why am I hurting so much why am I going into work covered in bruises and you know where where I've been training so hard and you know why am I so exhausted why am I trying to hold down a full-time job and be a parent and still do this and I think it's the resilience that makes the difference between the people that push through that to the people that stay at that level where not saying it's comfortable, but it's more, it's more comfortable than taking that next step up. And I think people who have experienced that adversity, people who've had 
that upbringing or that time in their life where they've pushed through those challenges they have that resilience to push through that pain point that that threshold of you know when they want to tap out and I think they have that extra resilience that stronger resilience to be able to push through I think that's the difference and that's that's a mindset it's a mindset thing isn't it it is so when I was um, researching you. I was going through your profile and whatnot. So we, you've made mentions that there is a difference what what your mindset was then versus what it is now. We keep going back to this thing mindset. This is a major theme. Um, now you said something that you know you thought that there was something about you. At least looking back in hindsight, you thought there was something about you that separated the mind of a someone who puts themselves in domestic abuse situations versus someone who didn't, so someone who doesn't, you know, which is kind of like an artificial separator that we, we, we make up to say, well, I will never be in that situation. Mm-hmm. I, will ne- I will never find myself in that situation. I will never allow that to happen. And then, you know, sometimes we do, we, find, we wake up and we find ourselves, oh, it's gradually happening. We, I think we come to realize that slowly and slowly it kind of creeps in on you. It's not something that just kind of presents itself and say, Hey, look at me. I'm going to abuse you in this, in this, in this relationship mm-hmm. that we're in. It just kind of like seeps in very, very, um, very slowly. Um, so how about you, why don't you talk more on that? Because that's interesting. I think people need to hear something like that because mm-hmm. I think they see things like that. What, what to them from the outside looking in is very clearly a bad situation. Mm-hmm. And they say to themselves here, no way, I would not never be that person. Mm. I think there's a great saying, you can't see the label from the inside of the jar. And I think situations like that, the coercion and the the manipulation that comes with it is a slow burner. Mm -hmm. You know, it is not like... Uh, you know, you're not sitting in water and the water's coming to the boil. You know, it, it, that's what it is. You're not getting into boiling water. You're in water and it's slowly coming to the boil. It, I'm not saying that it's not easy to spot. I think there's, um, it, it creeps, it definitely creeps up on what you find acceptable, that that line that just keeps getting crossed, just keeps moving the boundaries and I think when I look back, and I think my my situation certainly is not unique. I am definitely not the only person who uh, works for the police or was working for the police and was in that situation. I think the challenge that, that I found really difficult, and I think this is where denial comes into a lot of it, is that I was living that life and I was putting a uniform on in the mornings. I was going into work and presenting as a completely different person and I was just in denial that this whole life was going on at home I didn't talk to anybody about it I didn't share it with anybody um just would go through the motions each day of going in and going to work but the crazy thing for me was that I was working with victims of domestic abuse when I was going into work you know I was speaking to people and saying we can help you we can support we can do this we can do that and then I was going home to that situation. So there was a massive sense of denial, I think, into what that situation was. But it doesn't, 
these things don't just happen quickly you know there's a lot of coercion there's a lot of the manipulation side of things that I think in recent years people talk about a lot more um you're talking um you know, kind of 15, 15 years ago now. So I think things have changed. I think it's it's spoken about a lot more openly. And I think people recognise the coercion and manipulation side of it that has the biggest impact. Now, I think that, you know, that's not to say that the violence doesn't have its impact, but it's the coercion and manipulation that is what pulls you apart as a person. That's and and so what you are able to deal with becomes a lot less as time goes on. Um, and I think also it's the 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 challenge of these situations and which is what a lot of people find really difficult is that leaving that situation is a higher risk than staying. And also it's what you know. You know how to cope in the situation that you're in you learn how to cope which is a sad state of affairs in itself but you learn how to cope in the situation that you're in coming out of that situation you don't know what that's going to be like and there's a higher risk leaving that situation than there is staying and that's the biggest challenge for a lot of people is that they know the risk is higher you know a lot of the homicides murders happen when the person tries to leave because the individual is losing control and so for Mm -hmm. them to regain that control they increase those actions and so you get that escalation so a lot of people stay because that's the safer option which is you know it for people on the outside I you know I fully understand that that's a really difficult situation for people to understand but it you know that's and every situation is unique and every individual experiences it in different in different ways but that's kind of part of that's part of the challenge is you sometimes it's it's not easier but you understand and you know what you're dealing with whereas trying to make a change you don't know what you're dealing with but I think that applies to everything you know it's Mm -hmm. a lot of people stay in a situation they're in whether that's their health whether that's their, you know, um, mindset, whether it's the job that they're in, whether it's a family situation that they're in, people, you know, it's easier to stay with what you know than it is to step into the unknown and have to deal with things differently. You know, I think it's the same for everybody. Stepping outside of what's familiar is a scary place to be. It's just the ad the ad with that with you know a domestic abuse situation is that there's a risk with it as well so not only is it scary because you don't know it there's also the added statistically there's an added risk when you do that as well so it's not it makes it an even more difficult decision to make yeah i think it's worth remembering that you know humans are incredibly adaptive and even adaptive to environments that are not good for them so whether you're talking about domestic abuse or you're talking about unhealthy eating habits or whatever, um, you know, you, your, uh, your, your natural evolutionary instinct is going to be adapt to whatever is working for you, mm-hmm. quote unquote, working for you. Um, and that's, and just let it be as it be as it is. And and what you touched on earlier, what you just said was like, well, you know, there's the, the physical danger of actually leaving, you know, a, uh, an abusive relationship. 
which isn't there if you're talking about you know just getting better shape. But for either one, there's a there is a mental rewiring of your brain. It's like because the, the person who controls you usually controls you, like you said, through manipulation, coercions, all sorts of insidious acts, and that's usually their biggest power level. And so, again, when you couple that with evolutionary, you know. Uh, predisposition to adapt to environments <laughs> it's yeah. it seems like it, it seems like it's nearly impossible mm. but for but for yourself so obviously you did get out obviously your life did improve obviously you did not end up being a statistic that you dealt with all the time as a member of the police force so how'd you do that uh well it took about a year it took about yeah. a year from from me making that decision that I, I was going to, to to wait for an opportunity that meant I could I could leave in a safe way so and that's not unusual you know I've spoken to several people since and it is sometimes about looking for that opportunity to be able to mm -hmm. to make that change and the risk assess and and everything else and you know it got worse before it got better but no, I think it's that again. Resilience comes into it. I'm not, I would also describe myself as quite a a stubborn person, uh, determined when it's a positive, but stubborn. You know, I would definitely say I have a stubborn side, and I think that worked to my favour because once once I left, that was it. There was no way that you know I just had to keep my head down and just like one day at a time, just keep keep moving forward. Um, because I knew that, again, statistically, a lot of people go back because it reduces the ri the risk. Um, but yeah, I just had to keep pushing, keep pushing forward, and and there was a lot of there's a lot of pushing forward and just trying to keep that focus on another day, another day, and and as you know, as time went on, it got that little bit easier um, and easier to to manage. But yeah, it's. Yeah, it wasn't wasn't easy, but again, I think that's the resilience that we were talking about earlier. You know, you just keep right. keep pushing through, and I think you know, there's certain things that everybody faces in their lifetime, and that's when you when you recall and you think, oh, well, if I can get through that, then I can get through this. You know, if I well, I got over that, so then this suddenly doesn't feel quite so big and scary. So I think. Yeah, it's, it, you know, it definitely wasn't easy, that's for sure. But eventually, as things kind of settled down, I just found that all of this energy that I'd been putting into just kind of surviving and getting through every day, suddenly that energy was there. And I was like, okay, now I can, now I can start kind of focusing on me. Uh, but that was, that was probably a good year after, you know, before I actually felt like I had any kind of, uh, energy or mental headspace to think right okay we're here what do I where do I go from here what do I want from now you know and I think that was probably another year after that it took took a little little bit of time but you did get there and you know I assume that when you left you took your children with you um how did you notice their lives changed afterwards? Because that's that's a big transition for them mm -hmm. as well. Yeah, and I think um, I'm not, <laughs> there's a lot of it where you're doing it for them. You get you know getting up yeah. in the morning for them. Yeah. Uh, 
or for him in my case, isn't it one? Um, but, you know, is that it? There's a there's a reason. You know, it gives you purpose, a purpose to get up, purpose to keep going, purpose to keep pushing through. Um, you know, I'm not, it, it's like I said, it's it's kind of 15 plus years ago now, and I, like it interestingly, kind of worked through those relationships dynamics and being able to make it work in in some kind of way yeah it's that it's that yeah the pressure and and being able to kind of change things and change their environment makes a big difference you know being able to um yeah yeah I think I don't think you really understand that kind of pressure cooker environment that you're living with until you come until you come out of it and you realize that you don't need to worry about things that you had been had been worrying about for a very long time you know so when you left did you did you have any sort of major lingering say issues i guess for lack of a better word like you know when people escape traumatic events or traumatic situations you know there's obviously a lot of um mental carryover love you know a lot of uh baggage left over that people carry with them and sometimes you know people some people carry it better than others some people show like you said amazing resilience and they just kind of they start to rebuild and they build 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 and build and they kind of like they they retained some some part of their kind of sunny you know opposition or sunny you know optimistic attitudes and they're kind of very positive outlook on things and some people just kind of like they you know they survive something and it just kind of it gripped their mind and they never really was able to let go mm. and sometimes they find you know they sometimes maybe over the course of many years of therapy or so they still were were wrestling with things they didn't even really appreciate at the time that was yeah. affecting their lives after the fact was that the was that the case in your was that with as it was with you so i think for me i think especially the first couple of years was more uh i would say like more action just kind of going through making changes moving things forward keeping that momentum going i think if i'm being truly honest like the kind of emotional pass didn't come for a, a, a few years after. And interestingly, I did an NLP coaching course. Um, and a lot of that course was um, practice based. So we would go through different NLP coaching techniques, and we would use them on each other. And I think really, that was the first time that I'd ever I didn't go to therapy. I didn't have counseling. Um, I think that was the first time that I was ever in situations where I really processed some of the things uh for want of a better word um and the emotional release was was pretty significant like lots of things that I'd been holding on to and I I think I'm quite stoic in my approach of of certain things there's lots of things that I um I feel you know people hold on to a lot of anger and a lot of resentment and you know and I think I've let a lot of that go quite quickly you know not making excuses by any means but I think now I can look back on the situation and see things differently um and that puts me in a position where I'm able 
to let lots of things go and accept lots of things and be able to move forward. Um, and I think that's what a lot of people struggle with. And it's not easy by any means. But I think for me, it's choosing what I want to hold on to and and choosing what I let go of, not necessarily because that's what needs to be done for anybody else other than me. You know, it's, it's a heavy weight to carry if you're going to carry it with you forever. And I just think there's lots of things that, you know, that that chapter for me to close that chapter and to be able to move on and for it not to impact these later chapters, I've got to let a lot of stuff go. You know, I, that might mean that I'll never get fully explanations or apologies or whatever it is that I might be waiting for, you know, to, that sometimes you've just, just got to, you know, put it down and keep walking forward you can't I can't carry it all with me and that's not just for that situation you know that's for lots of situations that you know sometimes you know you just you've just got to keep walking and leave some of this mm -hmm. stuff behind and that's that's been my approach to it um it wouldn't be everybody's approach for, for sure but right. for me that's that's what works you, you know and yeah, that's my way of of working of working it through is Sometimes you just got to accept that, you know, I know not a lot of people will get this um, and this doesn't excuse behavior by any means. Um, but people do the best they can with the skills and the tools and the knowledge that they've got. And when they don't have that, they act out in a way they know how. And until they learn those tools, they're going to continue to act in that way. And we can't take responsibility for that in other people. They got to take responsibility for that themselves. And all I can, I can only take responsibility and take ownership for what tools are in my toolbox and how I use those and being aware of what tools I don't have and, and actively learning those skills and those tools so that I can be a better person for me and for the people around me. But I can't take responsibility for other people and what they choose to do with that. I think what you just said, um, and I've heard that before, like people do the best they can with what they know, even if they don't know very much of anything and, they're, and they, their skill set is very poor, they still have to work with what they have until they learn better, if they mm -hmm. learn better. I think that shows extraordinary insight into someone else's you know, mental faculties and someone else's emotional state. And the fact that you were able to do that, I think, sets you apart from a lot of other people. It definitely does tend to set, set you apart from me because I've had anger issues a lot of my life. Not that my life was ever bad, but I don't know. It's just kind of something I've always kind of wrestled with. And then that whole, you get to the point where you just close that chapter. It's not my life. Moving on. It's been pretty hard for me. Mm -hmm. And I'd never really understood how to really get there. I understood like cognitively how, why I should do that. No, you can't walk around angry all the time. I don't walk around mm -hmm. angry. I'm not an angry person. I'm not an unhappy person at all but still you know there's 
something in the back of my head that still is like there that doesn't really ever let go. You know, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I feel like maybe that's a characteristic of a lot of the people that you see who come to you or part of your wellness program. It's probably like that. And I've heard that characterized in many different ways. I mean, we talked about earlier, your, your, your insignia there is the phoenix. What is it? It's a bird that rises from fire. Mm -hmm. So in order to rise from fire, you have to have a fire. Mm -hmm. So, and maybe that's my fire. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, that, 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 that sacred point in your life where you get to the point where you are at peace with what happened and you've moved on, you know, I think I represent a lot of the people I've listened to or listening to this program who say, you know, I just can't quite get there mm. and I don't, and I can't understand why. And again, I'm not an unhappy person. I'm not an angry person. I don't yell and scream. I'm not abusive to people around me, mm -hmm. but still that, I guess it's just kind of like just simmering resentment, leftover resentment. Yeah. I, I, I and I totally, totally understand that. I think you, for me, I got to the point where I'm why am I holding on to this? Like what, how long do I hold on to this for before I get the answers that I'm looking for, or I understand it in a different way that allows me to let go of it. And I think there was a part of me that just knew I was never going to hear what I wanted to hear. I was never going to get the explanation that I wanted or needed um, that he was never going to see it from my perspective. All of the conversations in the world were not going to change the situation, if that makes sense. So it just got to the point where I was like, for, if I keep carrying this with me, it means that he is still influencing my world mm -hmm and my life and the on balance I wasn't I wasn't prepared to let that happen so for me letting that go completely detached the influence and ultimately that control but I get that it's different for different people and that didn't happen yeah. overnight that that I that know. took some time that did take some time but I think also you know I think it's it's much easier as time passes on and and when you look at it without the emotions that you're feeling at the time to be able to look back on it almost like you're watching it play out on a cinema screen it's much easier to see things from different perspectives and again not excusing any of the behaviors at all but i can look back on it and think if you were able to, in that moment, if you had this tool in your toolbox to be able to deal with that situation in a different way, that situation would have played out very differently. But if somebody has only ever got a hammer in their toolbox, they're going to hit everything with a hammer. And everybody can stand around and say, use the screwdriver. You don't need a hammer here. You need a screwdriver. But if that person's never been shown a screwdriver and been taught how to use a screwdriver, they're going to hit everything with a hammer. It's definitely true. And I think, again, the fact that you can, you can show that amount of insight to someone who was so horrible to you for, for so long, um, speaks volumes about you, especially now, because we live in a very like, kind of, kind of like a polarized world now where 
everything is black and white. There's good guys and there's bad guys. And bad guys act like this. Good guys don't act like that. And I think, and I think, you know, when you, when you try to tell people, it's like, that's not really how life really works. Well, you get these accusations that you're kind of, you know, you're making excuses for them or you're blaming the victim or something like that, mm-hmm. or, you know, you're letting them off the hook. And no, it's really not the case. And, you know, you kind of, you have to do that for your own, almost for your own therapy, your own yeah. therapeutic benefit, because you have to realize just, it's almost like, I hate to say this, it's almost like a resignation. It's like, well, you know, I couldn't, couldn't do, I can't do anything for them, mm-hmm. you know? So now when you have people come into your, your wellness and your coaching program here, I know you said earlier when we started this, that it's hard to kind of like break it down into, you know, a few lines as to what it is you do and how, how everyone responds to it. But, and kind of, you have to have noticed that there are similar threads that are very common threads that come that are among a lot of the people that you work with. Um, so if there are any, what are those common threads of the people that come to you and seek your counseling or seek your, um, your coaching? Well, I, I think it kind of picks up on, on, you know, what was just saying about tools in the toolbox. You know, I think mm-hmm. if, if I was to pick one thing that is the common thread is that people want to do better with whatever they want to do better and they recognize that they don't have the tools in the toolbox to do better so they want Mm -hmm. to either learn a different way of thinking or a different approach to be able to do things in in a in in a different way that has a better result or they want to learn tools strategies frameworks that help them to manage things in a different way for a better result and whether that's teenagers that are trying to cope with you know school pressures and things like that or whether that is you know a manager in a company who has a new team and their usual style isn't working with that team so they want different ways to approach it i would say that that's that is kind of you know, that's probably, it's a great question because it's not, it's helping me to think about it differently. But I think that's the common thread. People want to do better, whatever, mm-hmm. and they need more tools in their toolbox to be able to to do that. Or they want to understand what tools they already have and how they can use them for a different result. Yeah, I just want to... Uh get your take on that because you know as a as, as a fitness trainer you know you tend to find there are common there's a common like uh end result that mm-hmm. most people are chasing most of it is weight loss just you know body composition it's you know looking better in your clothes feeling better about yourself when you see your body in the mirror that sort of thing so and then that's very that's a very tangible very kind of numbers based sort of um uh goal to, to work towards. Now, along the way, a lot of times, at least in my case, I introduce some other things here that are not so tied into, not so obviously tied into weight loss that they, that they like as well too. It's like, oh, wow, I can do that now. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, wow, I feel better now as I do this. I can, you know, I can walk across an, an airport without getting winded, carrying yeah. my luggage, that kind of thing. You know. Um, so I just I just wanted to know was there like 
was there anything in particular, like an end result or like a particular problem that people generally came to you with, generally come to? Or is it just kind of like all over the map? No, I think it, it is really varied. I think the the journey that people go on, there's lots of similarities. So even though that the starting point and the end point are very varied, I think the journey that people go on in understanding themselves better understanding and when they understand themselves better and they've got that clarity around who they are what's important to them what do they want then they start to understand the people around them better so their relationships with other people improve whether that's personal or professional relationships improve and I think generally it's just that confidence in knowing that they've got tools in the toolbox to face whatever comes up and even though some of the tools, you know, you can see in sessions when people are talking it through, they're kind of dusting off these tools that they've not used for a long time. You know, they've kind of gone to the bottom because we're creatures of habit, aren't we? So we tend to deal with mm-hmm. things in the same way. So even if we're using the tools in the toolbox analogy, most of us probably only use, you know, if you think of a toolbox having that top layer and then that big section underneath, most of us really only go through life using the tools that are in that top layer, but we've got all of this other stuff underneath. And that for me is what coaching helps people with is recognizing all of these other tools that they've got in there that they could use to help have a different outcome because you know, because we're creatures of habit, we tend to do things in the same way. And then when we don't get the results that we're looking for, we still do things in the same way. We just try to go harder, faster with it. And then we don't get a different result. So to get a different result, we have to try things in a different way. And I think that's what coaching helps people with is exploring what alternative ways there are to try things differently. And I have no doubt at all that that's what you do in your world is give them different ways of trying things to get different results because ultimately people come to us as coaches because what they're trying isn't working, but they can see certain options ahead of them. And our role as coaches is to help them to explore those different alternatives to help them get where they want to get to. Right. And I'm very openly experimental in my training of people and that, you know, I'm flat out honest about that. It's like, well, you know, I, I get an idea when we're doing something, a flash of an idea and some, you know, let's try this instead. I have no idea how this is going to turn out. Um, I know it's not going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. So I'm not, I'm not fearful of that, but you know, this might be a better way. This may not be a better way. Let's just try it anyway. I think that kind of rubs off on people as you see that kind of improvisation right there. And, and what uh, you said something earlier about strong, strong women competitions. I didn't really appreciate until you said it. You said the the workouts are very, very, the training's very, 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 you said it's a very diverse. There we go. Um, I don't think I really appreciated that until you saw that because, you know, I look at strong, strong man, strong woman competition training. You know, it all to me looks like a lot of the same thing over and over mm-hmm. again. And and so the fact that you said, no, it's very diverse and you are uh, putting yourself in different situations with different loads and you have to kind of give yourself a kind of a, a universal um, adaptive training program. Yeah. 
Uh, I didn't appreciate that until you said that. And I'm now thinking that that probably has bled over into what is now your coaching program, you know, has probably directly influenced it, probably even subconsciously, mm. you know. I don't know. What's your take on yeah, that? I mean, yeah, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't surprise me at all. I mean, uh, you know, I think so with 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 strong strong man strong women there's always five events and you tend to have a push and a pull so there's normally something off the floor something overhead a push a pull and then you've got like a static event and a moving event so you've got mm. to be like omnicompetent in all of those areas and i think what helped me to be as successful as i was I was very rarely the strongest in any of those categories. Very rarely did I win an event, but I would always be in the top three. Every event, I would always be in the top three, which meant as from a scoring points point of view, I was always near the top enough to be able to position because I trained everything. But you'll have people who are naturally, you know, stronger overhead or stronger off the floor. Um, you've got quite a lot of people who are power lifters, so very static lifters. But I loved running around with stuff. You know, I loved things like, you know, carrying kegs and things like that. I loved the moving events, which a lot of people hated. But you still have to train the things that you hate. You know, you still have to train yeah. the things that you don't enjoy. And and I think that that does transfer over to life. You can't always just pick and choose the things that you're good at. You have to pick and choose the things that you are <laughs> weaker at and the things that really frustrate you and the there, things that you, you enjoy because you need to be an all-rounder and it's great to have your strengths but you also need to be good at the fundamental mm. stuff as well and that means that you have to put the work into the things that you're not as good at and that's the most uncomfortable bit about anything isn't it is when we know we're terrible at something but we've got to put the work in to get better at it so yeah, it definitely trans transfers over yeah. I mean, I think that's kind of um, characteristic of people in general. I think that's kind of a, something that we learn probably from schools, like, you know, double down on the strengths and stay away from the things that you're not so good at because school teaches you like every mistake, every failure is, you know, is terrible mm. or is the end of the end of the world. At least that's the impression I got from school. It's like, you know, it's very into in intolerant of failure. And I think that's why we grow up with this um, this uh, misconception about what failure is. It also doesn't um, build resi resilience either. And I think right. that's another challenge in that, you know, the, as much as we want to try and make things easier for people, ultimately we're making things more difficult further down the line. Yeah. Exactly. Sometimes a little bit of pain and discomfort up front is actually what makes it easier further down the line. Right, right, exactly. So going forward with Phoenix Well Life and Coaching, where to from here? That's a great question. I so I've set some goals this year. So not like so many times I've been asked this question, I'm like, oh, that's a really good question. I don't know. Um I <laughs> uh so my son's 21 now. Um he's kind of off grown doing doing his thing. Um, so I am in this really great place, like for the first time in a very long time, don't have those responsibilities of parenting and things like that. And, and so I'm working now on the business, um, you know, I'm really just trying to find that balance between 
being able to pick and choose all of the work that I love to do, but also trying to build a business that's sustainable longer term. Um, the goal is that by the time I'm 50, which is six years time, is to be able to work part time. And so I'm just kind of building up the things that I know I can keep keep the business going. Um, so I want to be able to impact more people, but not necessarily work more hours so looking at yeah. ways that I can support people to do that so I'm actually really enjoying learning more I'm doing a business course at the moment to be able to learn how to do that more so you know putting more tools into the toolbox to keep going back to the same analogy and and you know learning how to to use the tools that I've already got in different ways to build a business that you know, ultimately I can, I can still work. So I don't, I don't want to retire. I don't know. I don't think I ever want to stop doing this, but I also, you know, I want to be able to travel and things like that. So I had a goal this year to travel every other month. So far that is all on track. I've visited different countries every other month and been able to work abroad and, and still be able to travel. So I feel like I'm in a very fortunate very grateful for the position that I'm in right now to be able to do that because you know I think being able to do work that you love and to be able to do it in a way that means that you can live the life that you've always kind of planned out for living is is a is a great place to be in so yeah more of the same more of the same but less <laughs> if that more the same, more the same but less <laughs> yeah more of the same but less smarter smarter not harder but yeah, no, right. no aspirations to be, you know, one of these six, seven figure coaches or anything like that. You know, I think it's for me, it's about impact rather than profit, you know, and I think I'm really fortunate to work with some great charities and, you know, get some really good opportunities to work with people that, that there's almost a greater impact. And I really, really mm -hmm. love doing that. So, yeah, more of more of the same. That's the that's the plan. I have a closing tradition on this podcast where the guest has the final word. Okay. So, you know, an hour has been, we've been sitting here for an hour now. If there's one thing that you'd like people to walk away from, if they remember nothing else, what would you say it would be? So one word for people to take away from this well, conversation. No, not, not, not necessarily one word, unless that's what you want to do, but like one thing, like one theme or one subject like in one or two lines mm -hmm. or something like that, you know? Okay. I, I think you've been talking for me long enough now to know that one word would be practically impossible. <laughs> so <Yeah>. I think <laughs> one thing I would say, and, and it does come up a lot is the, the things that you, the characteristic and the attributes that you kind of drew upon to get you through your most difficult times. They're the things that, you need to tap into proactively to build and move forward. So if you think about what you, what you found out about you in your most difficult times and know that you can use that proactively to build your future. Zoe Thompson, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. Not a problem. And everyone who's listening, this has been Zoe Thompson. She's an international strong woman competitor, ranked second in the UK, ninth overall in Europe. She is the owner and coach of a life and well-being coach, or life and well-being, Phoenix Life and Well-Being, I'm sorry, Phoenix Life and Well-Being Coaching Services. And uh, 
domestic abuse survivor, 20-year veteran of the UK police. And she also was willing to give me a second chance after I completely blew it the first time with the internet going out, which wasn't my fault, but still it's my show. Uh, <laughs> thanks again. Thanks again for that, Zoe. I oh, no, it was good. I'm glad, I'm glad we got to have this conversation. It's been really good to chat with you. Yeah, it's been great talking to you as well. And uh, everyone who's listening, obviously, I'll put all the contact information in the show notes. You can reach out to Zoe if you so please. And um, this has been the Fitness Reborn Podcast. Move forever. I'll see you on the other side. Peace. Hey, thanks for listening. Don't forget, you can become a supporter of the show by becoming a monthly subscriber. No commitments. Cancel anytime. Every little bit helps. And I'd sure love your support. Also, you can click any of the links to our social media platforms provided in the show notes, and you can email me at renfitnesswarriors at gmail.com. That's ren, R-E-N, fitnesswarriors at gmail.com. If you got a fitness story to tell, I'd love to hear it. And you never know, you might just find yourself on the show. Until next time, train hard. Peace. Peace.